right, turn with me to um, Nehemiah chapter 2. That should be no great surprise if you've been with us. We're in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. As Sarah mentioned, last week we spoke about calling. And this kind of question, maybe you're sitting here today and you're wondering, God, have you called me? If you've called me, what does it look like? What do I do? How do I know? All these kind of questions. And last week we started off with this idea of holy discontent of holy discontent, that God in the heart of Nehemiah births something and he sits down and he weeps and he fasts for days and he begins to pray before God as God begins this calling of his heart and this holy discontent. And so my goal for for this morning's preach is very simple. This is what I want to do. If you're sitting and you're feeling God stirring this discontent in your heart, this holy discontent, not just your normal discontent, a holy discontent, I want to, I want to preach this morning on his plans his positions, and, his, and He provides. God plans our lives. He positions us in, in our different areas, and He provides. And I'm, I've been praying that God would stir deep faith in our hearts this morning. Deep faith in our hearts, that He is the God who can see it through to the end. I know there's fears in the room. I know that for some of you, the minute that, that God begins to stir, I know it's scary. I've been there. I've walked these roads. God, who's going to provide? God, what about my family? All these different questions come running into our minds. And so that's what we're going to try and do this morning. And very exciting, we're going to have an interview at the end of our time. So I'm going to try and preach a little bit shorter. And then Marley, Marley and John are very well known to us. Marley's going to come and just share some of the journey that God's had her on over the last four or five years. All right, so let's, let's do this. Just for the sake of you being new or you missed last week, I just want to tell you quickly what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 1. We're introduced to this man, Nehemiah, and he tells us that he's a cupbearer to the king. Now, it's quite a serious um, position that he holds. It's actually a position of power. He has authority as well. He's a man who has access to the king every day as if it's not enough that he just gets to drink the best wines which is an awesome job in any, in any case. That's like an amazing job that this guy has. But Nehemiah has this moment where these brothers from Judah come back from Jerusalem and they tell him that Jerusalem is still in a state of disrepair and something in his heart breaks. And he begins to weep and pray and fast before God. And then he has this beautiful prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1, which ends off with us seeing that he wants to go and speak to the king. And he has this prayer, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you grant me success in my request? And then we pick up in chapter 2. Let's go together. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan. Now, just on on the calendar, if you remember last week when we were speaking, he was in the month of Kislev, which is November, December. This is March, April. So it's about four months later, which I love. I just love because I think we rush into everything, right? God shows you something today, you want to start a foundation tomorrow. And I think there's like these flash in the pan things that spring up and then they die again, these quick deaths. And I think God wants to work and stir in our hearts. And he's been sitting before God for months before he goes to the king. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. I wonder if your boss could say that about you. But that's another whole sermon. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then 
I was terrified. Isn't that a great line? Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? I just want you to remember, this is a servant in the king's court and this is the king. And the roles are completely reversed. The king is saying, how can I help you? What do you want me to do? I replied, if it please the king, and if, it, if, it, if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, which incidentally was years, years to go and rebuild the city, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, this is where he gets cheeky, if, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates rivers, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territory on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forests, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. Isn't that great? How cheeky is that? And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, and I'm glad he added this, the king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. In other words, he'd even gone the extra mile. Father, as we come to this beautiful, beautiful text this morning, and we see your hand all over it and the fingerprints of God at work in the lives of his servants who want to do his will. I want to ask you, Father, that faith would rise in this room, that you'd set young men and women, old men and women, uh, free, from, free into the purposes and the plans that you have for them. I ask, Lord, that you would fill this place with your presence this morning and that we'd see incredible fruit from this time that we have together. And so as we think again about last week, I want you to remember that we're 94 years down the process from Ezra chapter 1 to Nehemiah chapter 1. We're 94 years. And so what I want to remind you of is that the news is not new. It's not the first time that Nehemiah is hearing about Jerusalem being broken down. It's not the first time. It's probably the thousandth time that someone has come back and said, no, the remnants still haven't been able to rebuild the walls. The remnants still haven't been able to do. But this time, for some reason, this time, he has what we called last week a Popeye moment. Remember Popeye with, with Olive and with Pluto? And Pluto's always trying to steal Olive. And then Popeye has this moment where he declares in his American accent, and he says, I can't stand it no more. I can't, I can't stand it. And he has this moment where it's like this holy discontent, and he can't take it anymore. And something like that happens to Nehemiah. I love how he has this little phrase, how can I not be sad? How can I not be sad? You know, we may have walked past something a hundred times, a thousand times, ten thousand times. But one day, God does something in our hearts, and we ask this question, how can I not be sad? How can I just carry on as if it's business as usual? I've seen something and it's broken my heart. And that thing, that, that emotion that that encapsulates, we're talking about, we've called that holy discontent. Holy discontent. And I, I want to 
I want to ask you, has God done something like that in your heart? For some of you, this was long ago. And it was so frightening, just like Nehemiah, you had this terrifying moment. But instead of Nehemiah asking the king, you, you thought, no, 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 and you backed away. And you put that thing up and it's on a dusty shelf somewhere. Too afraid, too much risk, God. Don't you understand I have a family, God? Or maybe God's just starting something new in your heart and it's, it's busy bubbling even as, as we speak over these next few weeks or as you go on a, on a Serve Stelly's adventure, one of the many touch points that we have to just go and experience different, different ways of life and saying, God, would you break our hearts for these things? Or maybe you, you feel none of this and you're just sitting and saying, God, I want to. That's great. God, I, I want to surrender to whatever it is you want me to do with my life. Well, in any of these scenarios, you need to know some things. And the three that I'm going to touch on this morning is God's plan, His positioning, or His positions and His provision in our lives. So here we go. Number one, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. And I put that phrase in there specifically because I want us to remember just the grandeur of who is calling us. The Lord, the God of heaven and earth, plans out what He wants with our lives. Do you believe that? Truly, that God has in mind your name and a purpose. Paul called for. Jono called for. Do you, do you believe that? See, this is a consistent Bible teaching that when we call him Lord, we really mean Lord. Paul speaks about us like slaves to a master. We often refer to as servants. We refer to as, as ones who, when, when the Lord says something, we say, Lord, yes. That's a servant's bidding. That's our only appropriate response. When the Lord says, I want you to jump, we say, how high? And it's not checking your brains out at the door because it's the most incredible God who's asking us, who only wants good for our lives. But this idea is so consistent throughout Scripture. I'll pull out a few verses for you. Some of them well known. Proverbs 16 verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Psalm 37. The steps of a man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Or Jeremiah 10. And there's so many more. I could do other Proverbs. And Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not his own. No one who walks directs his own steps. And this is completely consistent with where we were yesterday. Ah, yesterday. It felt like yesterday. Last week, Sunday, when we were speaking about holy discontent, and I started off by speaking about Ephesians 2.10, or verse 9 and 10, remember? You have a free gift so that you can't boast. It's the salvation which has been given to us, not by any works. Right? And then the other side of the coin, immediately the author carries on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Can okay, I want to be a little bit teacherish? Won't you turn to the person next to you and say, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Won't you do that for me? Some of you take a long time to say that. Now, now I want you to turn to, and just, I'm literally reading this verse, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now I want you to turn to the person, and the verse carries on, which 
God prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. I want you to turn to the person and say, God prepared these things beforehand for you to walk in them. Some of you are taking liberties. <laughs> Guys, this is, a, this is a deeply held theological conviction that God has and is actively planning our lives. He's planning our lives. He, he planned out, as we look at, at Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, the guys through the two books that we've been looking at, he planned their lives. But he didn't just plan the grand leader's life. Don't let's think that. Don't let's think that he just plans the special people, the one who's really making a change in South Africa, or the president's life, or this pastor, or that guy. No, no, he also, he also stirs the hearts of everybody to go along to Jerusalem. If you go and read the stories, people whose names we don't have. People we have no idea what they ended up doing, but God stirred their hearts because he had a purpose and a plan for them back in Jerusalem, and he wanted them to go there. God planned which kings would be in power, the Persian kings. Isn't that great after the elections this week to remember who really controls the power in our country? It's not the ANC, it's not the DA, it's not the EFF, it's God who controls the power, and he put our president in place. And we pray, and we begin again now to thank God. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for the leaders. Do we live like that, guys? Do we live like this? See, because I, I see a whole bunch of us, I'm talking about parents at school. I'm talking about friends I have, saved and unsaved. I'm talking about even some of us in the church. I see us living a life that it's as if God never gave it a minute's thought what he wanted us to do. I see us living a life that we pursue whatever pleases us, chasing after human plaudits and acclaim. You know, some of us are, are still hearing the words of, of negative parenting. You know, you'll never amount to anything. I'll show you. And so we're striving, even though our mom or dad might even be gone already. And yet we're still striving to prove to them that they were wrong, that actually we have amounted to something. I see many people plotting and planning the details of their life, where they're going to live, what schools they're going to send their children to, if they're going to work, all these, these different kind of things that go on in our, in our family lives. And I see us doing it without faith. Without turning to this God who has thought deeply about the plan he has for our life. And we don't even ask him, what do you want me to do, Lord? I've seen many friends and family, and you have too, leaving the country. And yes, God wants some people to leave our country, but I'm telling you, it's not as many as have left. I can tell you that with certainty. That many people are facing fears, and instead of facing God, they run for the hills. It's, I heard this beautiful phrase the other day. We face the facts while learning how to face the Father. Isn't that beautiful? We face the facts. So we're not, we're not ostriches with our heads buried in the sand. We're not pretending stuff isn't going on. We're not pretending we're not afraid about some of the land con uh, conversations that are happening and whatever else may be going on in our country. We're not, we're not hiding those, those fears and just pretending, you know. We face the facts. 
But we don't then turn and face fear, we turn and face the Father. Say, God, you see these facts too. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? I see people running businesses as if God's sole purpose was to make them comfortable and to secure their financial future. Or on the other side, I see people feeling such financial pressure that they're running like hamsters on this never-ceasing wheel. And that there's no trust, God, you're going you're to sustain us. And they just, they just, everything has to be all systems go all the time. And children are abandoned to nannies. Now, I know I'm stepping on some serious toes here this morning. But guys, I want to tell you, it's not God's plan for our family that they see us for a few hours a week. It's not God's purpose and plan for our families. We have some kind of keeping up with the Joneses. And so we're like, none of our friends are paying rent. So we, none of our friends are renting. So we've also got to buy when we can't afford to buy. And so we buy this house and then we work ourselves to death trying to pay the bond. When actually we need to say, Father, this is the facts of my life. I'm going to face you. I'm going to rent. You know what, my friends, I'm going to tell you, I'm renting. I'm okay with that. See, because no one, no one is stopping, not no one, you hear what I'm saying, obviously, many of us are, we don't believe to the core of our being that God has purposed and planned our life, and so it doesn't occur to us to turn to God and ask Him, what is it you want me to do, God? And another life is lived unsurrendered to God, unsurrendered to His purposes, and another plan is surrendered to keeping up with the Joneses, and on and on I could go, and I want to this morning say no, 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 no. If I could shout, I would. No, no. Please, can we stop? Please, can we turn back to God? We are Christ followers. We follow Christ. He leads. We say, where are you going? I want to follow you. Not, I'm planning and purposing my life and I've got this little bolt on. You know, this little like attachment that's God and my faith. And we kind of bolt it onto the little section of our life at the back. And I've plotted and planned my life and God's got this tiny little section on the back. I'm saying this not to rebuke you. If God does that, that's his business. But I'm trying to stir faith in our hearts for more. I'm trying to say there's a better way. There's a godly way. There's a a Bible written way that God has purposed and planned things for our life. It's not a random throw of the dice. It's not just circumstantial. Anyway, I better get going. Number two, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, positions us for his purposes. It's quite amazing when you read scripture. In fact, when you read lots of the old saints, one of the things that deeply inspires me in my own life is reading biographies. Hudson Taylor, Isabel Kuhn, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot. These, these people have lived profound lives and we can go and read their stories. They, it's amazing. Or even just thinking about people within our own congregation. Uh, Marley, we're going to just chat to uh, just now, contemporaries who are following after God. It's amazing how often they end up in positions they have no business being in. No business being in those positions. How God gives them unexpected promotion, unexpected favor in a career or a workplace. We see it with, with Ezra. If you go back into Ezra chapter 7, you'll see that Ezra was a man who was well-respected. He was a scribe. And it doesn't tell us how, but this little phrase in in Ezra 7 verse 6, this verse, the king gave him everything he asked for, shows us that Ezra had access to the king. 
Now remember, this is not just the king of a tiny little minion nation. This is the king of the most powerful nation on earth at that time, the Persians. And Ezra, a slave boy who was brought from slavery from Jerusalem, somehow has access to the king and has favor with the king that the king gives him everything he asks for. You go and read the accounts in Ezra 7. It's ridiculous. He says, take all the gold and the silver you can find. And when you've spent it on anything you want to spend it on, I trust you to spend the rest on whatever you need it for. It's the most ridiculous favor in Ezra 7. And, and Shauna is going to preach um, on finance on that in, in some week's time. You gave me a yes, right? Why are you looking at me so surprised? You said yes. Now I've just made sure you're going to. You see Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, access to the king. Or we think of Daniel. We think of Joseph. I remember Mr. Harding speaking so beautifully on Joseph those years ago when we were up in the top. But Joseph, this man who over a short, just over one lifetime, went from being sold by his brothers into slavery, rejected by his family, thrown into prison, ascending to the most important man after Pharaoh and organizing this phenomenal strategic um, movement to keep the whole nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations alive. God positions us. I think of Esther. And Mordecai says to her, if you don't, God will raise up somebody else to save the Jews. But maybe he's put you there for such a time as this. Just maybe. Just maybe you have access to the king who can change all of this. I think of Paul in the New Testament and how through persecution and prison and everything that he goes through, he ends up being imprisoned in a Roman guard and he ends up standing before rulers and, and powers who invite their friends, Felix and others invite their friends to come and listen to this man and how he's able to share with his, with his um, guards and they begin to be saved. And this, this Roman Empire, which again is the most powerful one in the world at that time, this, this gospel begins to spread as the Romans spread, this gospel begins to go. Just coincidence? See, it's powerful when we consider that God plans and positions us, that he can work in the most ridiculous ways, in the most impossible situations. You think you have your business because of your smarts. Let me tell you, God positioned you there. You think you're living in, in, in difficult circumstances because you know, of your background and your past, and some of that is absolutely true. But I want to say that God has a hand in every aspect of our lives, and he positions us there, and he can move us in a moment. We can be like Joseph in a prison one day, and the next day we can be second only to the king. God can do these things. And when he does them in our lives, we shouldn't be thinking, wow, I'm the best businessman in the world. We should be thinking, God, what are you doing? This is unusual. It should trigger in our minds, Lord, why, why are you doing this? Why have I got this promotion? What are you going on? What, what are you positioning me for, Lord? Number three, and lastly from me, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, provides for us as we reach out in faith. Let's, let's just think about this chapter 2 and what's happening in the story of Nehemiah, right? Here's a little summary. There's this character who has this moment where he hears about this desolation of Jerusalem and his heart breaks. Nehemiah is so bothered by what happens in his heart, that he can't hide it. His discontent becomes known by his face, right? Have you ever been with someone and God's really stirred their heart around an area or an issue or someone who's really passionate about an aspect of justice? Do you know like they can't shut up? 
Have you been with these kind of people? Everything, every type of conversation you have, somehow they manage to steer it towards this topic. You're talking about the best football club in the world. That would be Liverpool. Thank you very much. I had to get that in this week. And somehow they managed to turn it to talk about children's education. And you're talking about Mother's Day, and they will somehow manage to bring it back to children's education. And there's this passion burning inside of their hearts. And Nehemiah's like this. He's so bothered that it becomes obvious to everybody around him, including, and it just so happens as a crazy coincidence, inverted commas, that one of the people that's around him is the king, the king of the most powerful nation on earth. And it just so happens that it's this one man that God chooses to break his heart out of everybody's hearts. He's, he's been planning. He's been positioning. He's been getting ready on behalf of Israel. And then you think about what kind of mood must the Persian king must have been in in that day. Instead of being angry with this one, this cupbearer who's misery and walking around in you know, I don't know, how did he know? Was he crying? Was he depressed? Was he just very quiet? But somehow this king looks upon a servant on that day, and instead of being angry, he has like a psychology session with him. He says, what's wrong? How can I help you? What's going on? What's going on? The king of Persia with his queen sitting there. And Nehemiah spills the beans, and he says, the city is this and this, and this is what's going on. And the king says, well, let me help you out. And he funds it. I mean, and so the story isn't explicitly saying God, 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 but it's absolutely saying God, God, God is at work here. It's all over. God's fingerprints are all over. And and this is this this whole this whole story of Nehemiah and Ezra is, is the story of how God's providence so often works in our lives. God breaks our heart for something and suddenly out of the blue you meet someone who has a passion for the thing that God's just broken your heart for. And then suddenly you meet somebody else and they're feeling particularly generous that day and they also have a passion for that thing and they're like, well, we want to fund it. And then you see a friend that you haven't seen for years and years and years and that friend happens to have a network that just opens up to you in exactly the area you need to work in, right? Is this anyone's experience? Has anyone experienced this? It's incredible. This is how God's providence works. It's not always the five-year strategy. It's not always the careful planning. And and, and I'm for that. You know that. I, I love being as considered and reasonable as we can. But man, we need to get past that sometimes. Sometimes we need to just let God stir faith in the room and stir faith in our hearts. And we need to do some, on the outside, stupid things. We need to walk around Jericho and just shout at the top of our lungs on the seventh day. You know, we need to do some of these things which just don't make sense. It's Jesus speaking to Peter and walking on the water. And Peter says, Lord, is that you? And Jesus says, yes, it's me. And he says, well, if it's you, call me. And he says, Peter, come. And Peter walks on a substance he has no business being on. He has no business being on the water. And he walks on the water and then he sinks. Isn't that great? Isn't that comforting? Isn't it comforting? See, I, I don't want to... Let me say this. Gordon and Elena, last night at your foundation launch and your girls, I was deeply moved. 
by what you guys were doing. Now, some of you don't know this couple that I'm speaking to. Can I share a little bit of your story? Three years ago, Helena's mom, who's a very well-known author, Winnie Rust, was murdered in Wellington and by someone who she had cared for and someone who had come from a, a very difficult background. Last night, on the anniversary of her, or the third anniversary of that moment, to the day, they launched a foundation called the Winnie Rust Foundation, which is already supporting young men and women from a similar background to the background that this young man who murdered her mom was from. It was incredible. A domestic worker stood up and shared how she had fallen pregnant, I think it was grade 10, somewhere around there, grade 10 or 11, and had to abandon her education, and they funding, this organization is, is funding her to go and, and retrain as a beauty therapist. There's, there's a young lawyer from Kayamandi who also did the most incredible poem. She's a spoken, a, a word poet, so I don't know what the, the best word for it is. Spoken what? That one. Um, and, and she's studying law through UNISA, and this organization is supporting him. And there were six different organizations or people that stood up. It was, the most, it was the most beautiful thing. And what I'm trying to point out through this story is that these people were speaking about this, this senseless act, this tragic act that has changed their lives for good. And I sat there and I thought, God, even in the most dreadful tragedy, you used this word in your beautiful speech, Gordon. God is redeeming. He's not bringing back. He's not rolling back the time. He's redeeming. He says, yes, that happened. I'm turning evil to good. And guys, that's, I, I'm not trying to embarrass them or anything, but that's that journey. Some of us have walked some of that journey with them. To forgive, to reach a place where you do something like that is profound. And it's only the provision of God that gets us there. So I don't want us to leave this morning with this kind of raw, raw idea. We're all going to be cupbearers to the king. Hooray! Let's go. God's, where's my promotion, God? I'm looking for it. Paul said, where's my promotion, God? Where's my Nehemiah moment, God? Where's my, where's my leadership gap? Where's my business flourishing, God? Some of God's planning and positioning in our lives is to use terrible, terrible situations for his purposes. And we need to know that. That's why I think Nehemiah was terrified. Because the call of God sometimes is terrifying. Gordon and Elena, has God provided? Has he provided? When it first happened, did you think he could provide? They're nodding if you can't see them. That moment, I remember being with you, you just can't see the wood for the trees. God, what, what are you doing? What is going on? And yet three years later, we see up from the ashes, God raising something incredible, something beautiful. Right, I want to finish off just by reminding us all the way through the book. If you go and read Ezra chapter 1, we're just talking about the provision of God, right? And I know that some of you are sitting here and thinking, I feel this. I know it's God, but man, I'm so scared. And I want to just remind us that God provides. You go and read Ezra chapter 1. Go and read it again. It's ridiculous. A pagan king issues an edict that says, ask your neighbors to give you gold. Ask your neighbors to give you silver. 
And the Israelites go out, this, this remnant that are going to go back to Jerusalem. And it says they were, they were generously given gold and silver and livestock and valuable gifts. You go and read Ezra 7. And you see how Ezra goes to the king. And the king gives him everything. He gives him basically the keys to the storehouse of the kingdom of the most powerful nation on earth. The financial keys. He says, whatever you need, it's yours. Guys, God can provide. The Bible cover to cover is filled with story after story like this. God provides. What's your fear? What's your greatest fear this morning? God, if I was a, if I was a single man, Lord, I would do it. But Lord, it's not responsible. I've got a wife. I've got to think about it. God, I've got five kids. How many of you can claim that, right? I've got five kids, God. What about them, Lord? I should be responsible, Lord. God says, will you trust me? Do you know I'm good? Maybe your fear is living a contented life. You've always dreamed about the little white picket fence around your house. What if God calls me to Sudan? This is my wife's great fear. <laughs> Sorry, babe, she's outing you there. What if God calls me to do something I really don't want to do? And I wish I could say, you know, he's not going to. He might. He well might. But you know what? I guarantee you that you're going to look back on your life. If you follow God, no matter where he takes you, no matter how hard it is, no matter what situations you've got to endure, no matter what country he moves you to, no matter how out of your depth you are, how, how crippled you feel in your own gifting ability, I can guarantee you that you're going to look back and knowing what you know then, you're going to look back and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is the life I would live all over again. He plans to the intimate detail our life. He positions us right where you are, the family you were born in, the mom and dad you had. Give them a break, guys. God gave you that mom and dad. Yes, with their sin. Yes, with their brokenness. Yes, with all of our junk. Now I'm a parent and I know how hard it is. He positioned us and God provides he provides healing. He provides finance. He provides faith. He, he does everything. We just got to say, yes, Lord, we're yours. Come on, who wants to hear Marley's story? <laughs> Through the years, we've had these guys as part of our church. You guys are a wonderful couple. We love you, and your servant hearts are incredible. Uh, Marley's been journeying with us through the serve. Steli's, she's on the committee that, that kind of thinks about how we as a church are trying to engage uh, more meaningfully with justice in our town. And um, I'm so excited to have you. Come on. Come and share with us. Let's give you a microphone. Which seat would you like? Go for it. Okay. So Molly. Hi, guys. Why don't you start just by um, giving us a couple of minutes, just overview of your life. Who are you? Where are you from? How did you come to Christ? That'd be great. Because it's changed from one minute to a couple of minutes. So <laughs> Paul's got me on a clock. Um, yeah, so I'm a small town girl. Um, come from a town about 300 kilometers from here. Family of five, two older brothers, um, 
And just those two elements in itself uh, tells you that, that I could potentially be a difficult woman. If you're from a small town and have two older brothers, you have to fight your way through life. Um, and um, yeah, so I moved to, to Cape Town after school, did a degree in PR management. Um, and my first job was um, as an intern was in the nonprofit sector. And I remember I was very upset about that because it was not what I wanted to do at all um, and not glamorous enough. And um, one year later, uh, oh, sorry, you know, um, I, uh, when I was 25, I lost my parents, both of them, um, within like 10 months from each other. At that point, I didn't walk a, a road with God, so heaven knows God's grace how I got through that. And um, one year later, I wanted to feel better, so I, I got married. Another year later, I got divorced. And um, so it was a very difficult time. It was a, it was, it was a tough time. Uh, Kaz Kramer, uh, who some of you might know, they led this church. Uh, I worked with her, and she befriended me and led me to Christ. Uh, that was about 2008. And in that time, I really started seeing the world through God's eyes um, for the first time. And um, about two years later, I met John, um, who's sitting there next to his mom, amazing mom. Um, this kind heart, strong man. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, at, at a time when I just came back from Australia and I just got my permanent residency visa to go and live in Australia. So I met him and um, needless to say, nine months later we were married and I'm still here. <laughs> I, ne I never went, God had other plans. And, um, but the first two years of our marriage was, was, was tough. It was a, it was a tough time. Um, I was for the first time with a man, I couldn't bulldoze. Um, it was really, um, it was really a problem for me. <laughs> um, and um, also, was very frustrated. I started getting frustrated in my career in the nonprofit sector. Um, I, I didn't like, you know, I knew I needed to get out. Um, and I was reasoning in front of God and said, God, what do you want to do with, what do you want me to do with my life? At, at that point in time, it also became evident that we were not going to have children. And funny enough, it didn't bother me. I was like, oh, okay, well then I'm not going to spend money on in vitro. I'll rather go travel. And then, you know, it, it really doesn't bother you. And, um, and so if I don't, I'm not going to have kids, what, what do you want me to do with my life? And um, I was in Esther, and I fasted, and I prayed, and, um, and, I, and I felt God saying, your time is coming to leave, but it's not yet. Um, and, um, and when I read through Esther, all I could read about was Vashti, this queen that was so dishonoring her husband and, um, and how God took her out and... And all I saw that I was Vashti and God was saying, you know, stop telling, stop bulldozing your husband, stop telling him what to do all the time. Sure. Um, sort that out first. Yeah. Awesome. Sure, Marty, I'm so grateful for your vulnerability. It's awesome. Um, tell me, what, why was John important in the story? God telling you that, that you were being like Vashti and dishonoring your husband. Why was that important in your journey? Yeah, I think what I didn't understand at that time was that God was really first interested in my character um, and that me wanting to go and do something, well, he wasn't interested in that first. He was interested first in, in me as a person and, and who he was as a father, um, really wanting to, to turn me into the person that he, <clears throat> sorry, <coughs> that he created me to be. I wasn't fit for purpose. Yeah. yeah. So what, what were you doing 
at this stage? So at that particular time, I was working for WWF. It was an international non-profit organization, environmental. I'm not a greenie. I can't recycle even properly. And um, I've been working for them for 10 years. And hypocrisy is really my, my petate in life. Um, so, um, <clears throat> but somehow I was there. So it was, it was tough for me. Yeah, I struggled. And then, <laughs> it started getting uh, to me. <laughs> from, knowing, from knowing your story, there were, there were two major moments that really kick-started something of this holy discontent that we're talking about in your life. Just, just share with us those two things, what God did and what happened. Yeah, also, so during that um, unvashtiing year, um, Jean and I uh, led Kids Church here in this congregation, um, and we, John was teaching the teenage boys, and we had a group of boys that were coming from Kaimandi's side, um, and one of these boys had been coming for a while, and he was just a special kid, and he, he always wanted to do the right thing. It was just amazing. It was just, just still today, there's something amazing about him. And um, we, we could see something's not right. He was, um, yeah, he, he didn't look well, and we, we figured out that he was on the, sleeping on the streets. Um, and Suf, the Farrells, and, and us, we were trying to, to really get this kid back into school. He wasn't in school. We tried to get him an ID. It was a difficult, and it was a massive struggle. And the feisty Mali came out again, and there was a firelit that I didn't even know was there. And I couldn't understand, but what, how is this possible that two families, two women that knows what they're doing, cannot get this kid back into school, or it's, it's just ridiculous. So the system was failing. So that was the first, the first holy discontentment moment for me. Um, the second was I was traveling to Janisbet for work, and, and um, very long story short, I, as some of you know, this was in a um, first line of fire of an armed robbery. And um, I tried to flee, um, and, and the robber caught me, and um, I had a gun to my head, and um, at that moment, I was, uh, I was like, God, if this is it, then that's fine. And I very, very clearly felt it was. And God could speak through a robber that day. He spoke through that guy. And he was just amazing how he actually handled me. And I know they call it Stockholm Syndrome. It's not. It's the grace of God. And, um, but unfortunately, he was killed. He was killed by the police. They were there. And, um, and when I got back, it was obviously quite a traumatizing time for me. But it was more traumatizing for me that he got killed, that someone lost his life. He was five years old once. He probably dreamt about becoming that policeman that killed him. What happened? Again, system failed. System failed. What's, what's happening? And I, so I was, yeah, I, I, it really bothered me. I couldn't sleep. And um, I said to John, the time's coming. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> so God used some of those um, experiences to really up the ante in your, in your own heart, in your own life around what he was purposing and planning for you. Tell us some of how he revealed that to you, or what, what happened next. Yeah, so um, with the kids' church story, I was with the teenage girls, and I, I took them through the, the women of the Bible, and it was chronological, so I didn't know who was next. I don't know my, don't know my Bible that well. And um, <clears throat> it was Esther, and when I opened it up, it was Esther. It was just after the robbery, and it was just like... God just, I had a burning bush moment. I knew that God was bringing me back to Esther. And I started doing a lot of research. And I saw that Esther was prepared for exactly 12 months um, before she had to go on mission through the beautifying process, etc. And um, when I look back, the previous time I was in Esther, it was exactly 12 months. And um, I knew, I just knew, I knew, I knew I, I, I had to go. And, um, and yeah, so I went to, to work. Um, 
you know, with this idea to to tell my boss that that I want to um, I want to go. So I walked into his office, and before I could start talking, he said, "Well, so we've got a promotion for you." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he was talking, and I just didn't hear a thing, and I just started crying, and he, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, I'm sorry, I've, I've got to go. And he said, but what do you mean you've got to go? And I said, I'm sorry, I've just, I just got to go. Um, and, he, he, and he listened to my whole story, and um, he, he didn't think I was serious, but he saw that eventually that, yeah. that, I, that I'm pretty serious. And, but it was also a shock to him because my biggest um, strength is responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what did you – this burning has started in your heart <clears> – <throat> And to the point where you're sitting getting a promotion and you're quitting your job, what, what did you have to go and do? What was so urgent that was yeah. bubbling in your heart? Or was yeah. it clear? Yeah, it was clear. It was, it, well, it was sort of clear. It was that this, the system, yeah. <laughs> so I, I obviously passed it about it and prayed about it. And it was clear that the system was failing and I needed to go and figure out why, what is wrong with so many people doing so many good things. Why are we still not creating results? Why are we still seeing poverty and going in the wrong direction? And, and I, I just felt in my spirit, God said, the answer lies in collaboration with people not working together doing their own thing, and the other thing was Stellenbosch, because at that point we weren't even, we were just in church here, but, and, but we, didn't, we, don't, we still don't live here, um, and I didn't have any connections here whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. so simple, right? Just walk into a job like that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Marley, so it's, it's so wonderful to see how God has prepared you and planned and how strategic it's been. Um, but I'm sure you had big fears around provision, just like we've been talking about this morning. Has God provided? Um, tell us some of that aspect of the journey. Yeah, I'm not skinny enough to, to, <laughs> for it to be otherwise. Um, yes, um, God has definitely uh, provided. It was amazing. The next day, after the day that I quit, my, my boss called me in and said, okay, so fine, you need to go and do your thing, but can we at least, you don't know what you're going to do, so just can we at least um, consult you in for a few days a week and the other days a week you can go and figure out what you need to go and do. And I said, okay, that's fine. And that basically paid my entire salary because now it was consulting hours. So. <laughs> um, and immediately I could just leave with, without not having my salary. Yeah, and it's, I've never, never not had. And John got a job um, in a Level one BEE company. This is a company that really takes their their BEE status and and the responsibility towards um, equalizing opportunity seriously. And um, he's a white male, and and he got that job. He shouldn't have gotten a job, and it was a very yeah. good job at the time. Yeah. I hope you feel guilty for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, Molly, I know from the conversations we've had over the last few years that. There's been moments where you've just said, like, Paul, listen, this has happened, and it's ridiculous. Like, I should, I should never have been invited, and I got invited. Just tell us about some of those moments of God really positioning you in places where you felt unqualified or like it was just ridiculous that you'd been invited to some of those things. I know you don't want to boast, but just tell us the, the highlight reel. Yeah, so, um, so when it got to the point of now getting practical, because I'm quite a practical person, it's like, okay, fine, God, so now what? What, what must I physically go and do? And he, he was saying, just talk to people that you need to go to Stellenbosch, and names started coming, coming up in my spirit of people that I haven't seen in years. And I, I looked them up. Um, one of the ladies worked for the university. She still doesn't know this, but she, she works for the university, and she um, one day got me this random invitation to this random meeting that was 
happening in Stellenbosch. Um, and when I got there, it was a network meeting, and the network was about a bunch of nonprofits that needed to figure out how were they going to collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this network has been dorm dormant for two years, and the meeting was about, oh, do they want to go forward or do they want to stop? And um, I said two words at that meeting. No one knew me, and I got elected to be on the steering committee to take that forward. So I walked out of there, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is crazy. So that was the first thing. And then um, You're I, chairman on that committee now, right? Today I chair that committee, yeah. 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 Um, and... I met Agnes from Kin Culture through that through that network, um, and then she phoned me one day, um, and this was now after about a year, and said, "Ah, there's this town planner that just moved to to Stellenbosch. Um, I need to connect you with him. It sounds like he wants to do what you want to do." It's like I still don't know what I'm doing, but okay. And um, so I didn't phone him, and eventually he phoned me, and I was like, "What do I? What does the town planner want with me?" Anyway, um, he's sitting there at the back, hiding. Johan, say hi. One. <laughs> anyway, and um, he he phoned me and he's and 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 we started you know we had, we had coffee and I was like okay so what do you do I don't really know what time planners do and he's like no he's told me his whole amazing story he just moved from um, Pretoria to Stellenbosch he's not quite sure yet what the plan was but God said come to Stellenbosch at that particular time and I said but what do you do he's like no um, I now started a, a non-profit organization and what we do is. <laughs> Amazing. What we do is we um, we implement a collaborative a collaborative community transformation model um, in in communities in South Africa, and we um, yeah we integrate the development planning strategies of multiple sectors within one geographical area, and um, yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, God. So this is why I had to get this network up and running yeah. because we didn't know what we were going to do, but he's figured it out already in terms yeah. of what needs to be done. So. So it was a little bit close to what you wanted to do, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right, so yeah. Marley, I just want to just close off just by giving you um, a moment to encourage others sitting here this morning with holy discontent around whatever issue it may be stirring in their hearts. Just some lessons you've learned, things that you're afraid of that God's shown you on the way, um, anything. Just encourage, just encourage guys around yeah. that. I think the biggest thing that God has showed us is that um, it's not the system so much um, that's the problem. It's the fact that people in the system are not taking up their positions and people are not, not rising up and not walking in the call that God has got in their lives. And um, so just in terms of, you, that is knowing that God has got a purpose for your life is a deep, deep, deep theological understanding you need to have it's not something we feel guys it's something you need to know and you need to need to walk in that um, it's got eternal value there's a verse in Ephesians that says you will finish the good works that he started in you until the day of Jesus Christ not the day of your death until the day of Jesus Christ so the ripple effects that is on you um, and the, the impact that you're making is is incredible, but you gotta you gotta get your hands dirty, and you gotta get stuck in, and you gotta take up your position. Um, and just because it gets tough, you know what? Your assignment is not going to change. It's going to be the same. These plans are not changing. These plans are his plans. Nothing else will do, unfortunately. Yeah. And what a ride! Yeah, what a ride. Also, just on, 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 on where he's been, he's taken us, is we also um, 
in terms of these multiple sectors, we lecture to the university students now on social innovation, um, engineers, which I know nothing about, um, how to use your engineering skills to solve so social problems. We sit on the institutional forum of the university, advising their council on their policies. There's a new Stalamosh business network starting up um, that we're going to be on that steering committee to guide them how to uplift local entrepreneurs. And the biggest thing is next, this week, Johan, we're going to sign a, a lease. The local municipality awarded a building to us uh, on a 10-year lease. Um, to free of charge, right? Well, y there's, there's a catch. Yes, it's, it's, free, of, it's uh, free of charge. Um, we're not going to pay rent for 10 years, but we have to go and find the money to, to um, fix the building up because it's completely dilapidated. It's the, it's the old clinic opposite the Adam Small Theatre in Victoria Street. And um, we're going to turn that into an entrepreneurial incubation hub for local community entrepreneurs from where they can trade, from where they'll be trained, from where we will create access to market for them. And um, that's really going to be a place where we're going to start rebuilding the walls and equalizing opportunities. And did I know that this can happen? Absolutely not. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank <laughs> not, God. Not thank me. God we know the man who has the money, which is <laughs> awesome, right? I mean the father, obviously. Molly, can we appreciate her? Just clap and <laughs> hold on. So profound just to hear what we're talking about actually in a life that's been lived. And there's others here we could have got this morning to come and sit and tell us their story. So what we're going to do is we're going to end um, right here. But I, just, I just feel like we're going to uh, respond. I'm just going to pray. Ask the Father just to really cement or seal, it's maybe a better word, what he's been doing here. And then we're going to um, take communion together. The band will come up and just sing a song. We'll just close off with a, with a hymn together just so you know where we are. So, Lord, we're so full of flaws, failings. It's incredible that you want to work with us. That you take these cracked jars that leak all over the place and you say, I, I want to use you. I want to repair you. I want to fill you with my spirit and let it splash out into the world where you live, the university where you study, the workplace that you work in, the people that you employ, the children you look after. Father, it's humbling. It's an incredible privilege to be used by you, Father. Lord, I ask that this morning you would have stirred faith so deeply in our hearts, not excitement, God, not something that just fades in a couple of weeks, God, but a, a faith which has birthed this little, little plant which is beginning to grow in our hearts, God. And we ask that you would come and, and, and water it and feed it and make it grow and this faith would grow that we would trust you with our whole lives. God, that we would know that you are good and that what you're going to call us to, what you're going to call our families to, what you're going to call our children to, our moms and dads to, even if they don't know you, God, to look over our lives, you're calling us for good. You're going to care for us. We can trust you, God. We can trust you, God. Thank you that we call you Father. Lord, this morning, I want to ask that you would start these little trees growing in hearts or fires, whatever metaphor we want to use. 
Lord, I want to pray that those who've had these dreams and they know that you're talking to them again this morning and even sitting here, they're afraid. They've grown cynical over the years. Is that really God? Was that really God or was that just my 20s speaking? Father, I ask for reignited passions in this room. Reignited dreams, Lord. Not for the sake of some self-actualization, but for the sake of your kingdom advancing. For the sake of your purposes on this world, Lord. Father, we've grown comfortable with a TV remote in our hands and watching the sport all weekend. Come and stir in us again, Lord. Come and stir a passion. Father, I pray for stories of supernatural, unusual experiences of meeting people who know somebody else, who know somebody else, for job promotions, for favor in the workplace, for ridiculous stories of what you've done to put people in positions where they can be influential, Lord. Father, I pray for great courage in this room. Great God-given courage for people to change careers, to move countries, to do crazy things for the sake of the kingdom of God.